0: Well, unless your new Pastor Bob asked me to come back and preach sometime, this is my last day to stand before you. And uh, I thought it was really funny. We're in there pre- uh, praying a while ago, and um, Shelby says, you know, thank you for Dell blah, blah, blah. And then she says, you know, it, you know, pretty monotone. And then she says, but we're so happy to be moving forward. <laughs> Those of you that were in there, you know that's true, you know it's true, it's true. You know, it reminds me of, uh, you know, uh, when uh, this pastor was leaving his church, you know, and this lady came up and she was all crying, she was all upset and disappointed. And he said, said, you know, it's going to be okay, your new pastor is going to be wonderful. And she said with tears streaming down her face, well, that's what they told me the last time. And (laughs) I, so anyway, if you have your Bibles, we're in the gospel of Matthew today, the gospel of Matthew. And we're going to start with Matthew chapter one, verse one. And I'm not going to read the chapter because we're going to be going through that. You can go back and you can read it later. But everything we're going to talk about today is going to come out of Matthew 1. 1-17. Uh, through 17. I remember when I was growing up, there was a minor scandal in our family. I had an uncle by the name of Ben Branch. He worked for the Texas Education Agency, and he wrote a family history of our family. Well, he had the audacity to mention that back a few generations ago, there was a horse thief in our family. And that horse thief was caught, and he was hanged by his neck until he was dead. Well, let me tell you, that really, really upset some of the aunts and uncles and cousins in the family. How dare you, Ben Branch, you know, share our dirty laundry with the whole world? You should not be telling folks that sort of thing about us. And you know, today, I want us to look at the genealogy of Jesus. And you may be thinking, you know, why are we doing that? It it seems like one of the most boring chapters in the whole Bible. But it's very, very important. Because back in those days, family name meant something. Genealogy meant something. And as we'll talk about uh, as we go along today, think about this. Jesus Christ was the only one that got to pick his ancestors. He picked his genealogy. And I think it's interesting to see some of the folks in his family tree. And basically it tells us we're all mutts, okay? That none of us can, can, can stand up and say we come from this wonderful lineage, this wonderful line. None of us can stand up and say, you know what? I'm better than you. Because we're not. We're not. We're all We're all God's creation. Verse 1, a record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Why did Matthew begin in such a boring way? Because this subject was absolutely crucial to his purpose. He was writing to convince the Jews that Jesus was their Messiah. But the Messiah had to come from the line of Abraham and the royal line of David. That was prophesied and it had to take place. If Matthew cannot demonstrate these twin facts about Jesus, his work is done before it ever begins. His genealogy back to Abraham and David proves the case for Jesus' Messiahship. Now remember that Jesus was the only baby that Chose his ancestors, and, those, and he chose these 38 people. Let's look at them just a minute. Number one, Jesus chose Isaac rather than Ishmael. Think about that, Isaac rather than Ishmael. Though his mother was 90 years of age when he was born, Jesus' own birth was really not the first miraculous conception in his family line when you think about how old Isaac's mother was. He chose Jacob. And what does Jacob mean? Jacob means deceiver rather than Esau. Though the former lived up to his name most of his life, he would not be the last deceiver included by Jesus in his family. He chose Judah rather than another of Jacob's sons. He could have chosen the godly Joseph, for instance. Any of the other men of greater integrity than Judah. Here's how we know Judah, the father of Perez, and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Now Tamar was married to Judah's first uh, son. Remember that he died. Then his sec- Then to his second son, she was married, but he died as well. Judah refused to give his third son uh, to her, so she pretended what. She pretended to be a prostitute, came in, slept with her father-in-law, bore him Perez and Zerah. Jesus chose a family line which included the worst kinds of immorality. But Judah was not the last person of questionable character to be included in this family. God redeemed Judah's sin in an amazing way. Despite... His incestuous beginnings, Perez was blessed greatly by God. You know, that tells us something. No matter what our background, God can use us and God can bless us. His descendants, Perez's descendants, would become military heroes and political leaders. Uh, God can hit straight licks with crooked sticks. He does it all the time. Heron was the ancestor of two of the greatest clans of Judah. Ram was not Herzan's first son, but his second. We don't know why God chose him specifically, though his name means exalted. The Lord has plans for us, which only he knows about. Think about that. Uh, I always have trouble with this next name. Amenadab was the father of Aaron, the first high priest. And so Jesus is descended from the priestly from the priestly and royal line. Nashon, go to Nashon, was one of the most prominent leaders in Jewish history known as, and I quote, the leader of the people of Judah. And his son Salmon, on the other hand, he married the pagan prostitute Rahab. Straight legs with crooked sticks. Remember, God does it all the time. Their son Boaz was one of the most honored In all of Jewish history. And one of the most famous for his romance and marriage to who? Ruth. His marriage to Ruth, the Moabite uh, foreigner. No one would have included her in God's family, but Jesus did. And their son, Obed, which probably means worshiper. His son was Jesse, a resident of Bethlehem and father of eight boys, the last who would become the greatest king In Jewish history. Jesus chose some of the holiest people in Hebrew history for his ancestors but he also chose some of the most corrupt. Think about that. Think about the moral disease in his family tree uh, which comes next. David's son was Solomon whose mother had been who? Uriah's wife. The story of David's adultery with Bathsheba was lowsome, was lullesome, was so lowsome, loathsome that that Matthew, you know, he couldn't even bring himself to call her by name. He, could, he couldn't even call her by name, so he said that Uriah's wife. <laughs> Think about that. But he made sure we knew she was Uriah's, Uriah's wife before she was David the king's wife. But as another example of God's redemptive. Ability, you had his, their son Solomon became the wisest of all time of the kings. Tragically, he was not the most moral. He was wise, but he wasn't the most moral. His 700 wives, 300 concubines led him to paganism and immorality. The result was a downward slide into captivity and near oblivion for the people of God. Now the list bounces back and forth. From morality to immorality as the nation catapults into Babylonian captivity. Rehoboam refused the wisdom of his elders. His egotism split the nation permanently into ten northern tribes and two southern tribes. What were the ten northern tribes? You know Israel. The two southern tribes were Judah. Uh, Jesus' genealogy follows the southern kings from this point forward. Not Israel, the ten northern tribes, but Judah. The two southern tribes. Then uh, you have um, Abiah, uh was was a positive and he was a righteous leader. Then you have Asa, who was as well uh, for most of his forty-one years on the throne. Though his life ended in rebellion against the Lord, he 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 started well. Most of his life he did well, but he ended in rebellion against the lord then you had jehoshaphat led his people to miraculous victory over their enemies through passionate prayer so far so good but you know the bad soon follows Je- uh, jehoram put his brother to death when he ascend, uh, so that he could ascend the throne was rebuked by the elijah brother prophet elijah and lost the treasures of his palace and even some of his own sons and daughters to The Philistines. We cannot count on our father's faith, you see. We must have our own faith. Uzziah. Uzziah was one of Judah's greatest military leaders and spiritual leaders until what? Until his pride became his downfall. He took for himself the priestly privilege of burning incense before the Lord, for which he was punished with what? You know, fatal leprosy. It's not how we start. It's how we finish. Think about that for a little while. Jotham was generally successful, known for building programs during his rule. Uh, Ahaz was not. He led the people into idolatry and even child sacrifice as one of the most wicked rulers in the history of Judah. Now the pendulum swings even more wildly from generation to generation. Next, you have Hezekiah. Hezekiah, one of the great rulers in all of Jesus' family line, he brought sweeping reform to the nation. He abolished idolatry. He saved Judah from the Assyrian assault. But his son Manasseh, whose reign was the longest of any king in Judah's history, was also one of the most wicked. The nation's destruction was ultimately during his reign and his fault. His son Amon was killed in a palace revolt. Josiah turned the nation back to God as one of the greatest leaders in biblical history. He rediscovered the book of Deuteronomy and used it to make sweeping spiritual reforms. Tragically, he died in a battle at the age of 39, and the rest of the story is equally tragic. You have Je- Jecona. Nae. Okay, here again, this Texas tongue is hard, okay? It's hard for me to say this thing. You know, But he, o- he only ruled uh, three months until the king of Egypt disposed him. Then his brother Jehoiakim uh, took the throne until the Babylonians uh, deposed him and destroyed the nation in 586 B.C. From the nation's greatest heights under King David and Solomon to their lowest heights. In just 14 generations. 14 names. How quickly times can change. But Jesus chose them all. Godly and wicked for his family tree. They were all part of his family tree. Most of the names which complete the list are completely unknown to us. Uh, Shealtel uh, means I have asked for God Zerubbabel was governor of Jerusalem from the Babylonian. Uh, After the Babylonian exile, he and uh, Joshua, the high priest, rebuilt the altar and laid the foundation uh, for the temple. The next names are given to us in triplet. Uh, Abayu uh, means my father is glorious, Eliakim means God will raise up, and Azor's name possesses no theological meaning as far as we know. Zadok means righteousness. Akim's name has no significant meaning. Eluid means God is high and mighty. Eleazar means God helps. Mathan and Jacob are otherwise unknown in the scriptures. For nine generations, the Messiah's chosen family possessed no leaders remarkable enough to earn biblical citation i mean there was nine generations but we don't know what they you know we don't know their names they may have been rulers of the nation or not they may have been godly as josiah or as profane as manasseh we don't know only god knows but god knows why are such unknown people here See, every name in the list is included because Jesus wants everyone to come to him. He understandably invited people of unblemished moral record as Boaz and Josiah, but he also invited tragically flawed figures like Judah, Ahaz, and Manasseh. Why? Because our God is patient. He's patient with you. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Second Peter 3.9 Some of us don't think we're worthy to be a part of God's family. We know our sins. We know our failures. Some of our sins are secret and known only to us. Some of them are not. And other people know about them. You know, every family has a story. Every person has a story I've had conversations you know this week that that, that, or this last week with, with people that, that have a hard time believing that God could love them because you know of their past or because they've been told from, from the time they were born that they weren't worth anything you know I don't know if you're like me I grew up in a small town and there were those that were thought of as highly thought of and those that were not there were family names that were honored, and there were family names that were not honored. There were people that were that were seen as a little bit better than other folk, and see folks that were seen as a little bit worse than other folk. And so, uh, you know, we all have our story. We all have our history. And uh, you know, what what is your history? What you know, deep down in the recesses of your soul, what? What do you think of yourself? And do you think you're good enough to be a part of God's family? What what private sins are you glad that no one else knows about? What secrets are locked away in the closet of your soul? Ahaz and Manasseh prove that none of our stories are bad enough to keep us out of God's story. We can all know him. We know that we can know him we know that he can know us and you know what he can know us and love us we are welcome in his family others are uh, you know others may not think you're worthy but you know what others opinions don't matter isn't that a wonderful thing have, have you ever been in a situation where you know you thought to yourself wow that person's never gonna like me, or that person's never gonna think highly of me, or that person's always gonna think badly of me. Well, guess what? That doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Isn't that a freeing thing? Isn't that a beautiful thing? The only one that matters is God. And He loves you, and He cares about you. It don't make a difference what your history is or what your past is. Jesus' family tree is just as bad or yours as yours or worse. You know? And he wants you to be a part of his family. Think about that. We have a story. But God knows our story. And he doesn't care. He loves us. And he cares about us. Now, now can I say something to you good church people? Some of the, the finest people I've ever met in my life were church people. The finest people I've ever met in my life were church people. But some of the harshest and most judgmental people I've ever met in my life were church people. Can I say something? If you even tow the line, if you even get close to that line of judgment, uh, you know, then get over yourself. Because you know what? You have no room to judge others. We have no room to judge Jesus, Amen. <laughs> and He does not judge us. He offers His love and forgiveness and grace. To us. You know, now we do need to understand that, that as sinners, we can't be a part of His family without oh. the saving grace of Jesus Christ in our lives. Because if, if you had been perfect all of your life and yesterday you sinned once, that's enough to keep you out of the family of God. Did you know that? That's enough to keep you out of His heaven. Because God is perfect and God is holy and God is righteous and He cannot allow unholiness, imperfection into his presence. So he created a way for us to be a part of his family through the blood of Jesus Christ. If God were fair, none of us would be part of his family. Amen? And yet, uh, it is only by his grace that we are invited into his family. And it is by his grace that we are all invited you're invited, but, but every other person in this world is invited as well. I want you to do a little exercise with me just very quickly. Think of the one person in your world that you have disliked the most. I know there's somebody. I know there's somebody. Don't act like there's not. Somebody that you have disliked. Maybe you just disliked them. For whatever reason, you just disliked them. You just liked the way they looked. You disliked the way they acted. They were mean to you. you For whatever reason, you disliked them. Understand something. God's grace and forgiveness and his invitation is just as open to them as it is to you. Just as open to them as it is to you. Because our God loves us all and he wants us all to come into his family it is by grace that we are invited we can know him and we can know that he knows us and loves us anyway none of us are worthy all of us are welcome how grateful are you for the true meaning of christmas this year is the pressure and the business of the season getting to you you know for some people it's a very hard time of year right? for some of it's a very difficult time of year uh, I know this year will be the first, the first Christmas that, that I will spend without either one of my parents. Uh, that, that'll, that'll be a difficult time. Uh, yesterday, if you guys read Facebook, you know yesterday, Melissa and I were in Houston, Texas. And we uh, went out into my daughter's backyard, my son-in-law and daughter's backyard, and they pulled a string on a piñata. And out fell pink stuff. Why? To tell us that we're going to have a little grandbaby girl. Yeah. yeah, isn't that great? Isn't that great. She's going to be part of my family tree. She'll be part of my lineage. You know. And 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 and. Am I going to welcome her with open arms? You bet I am. You bet I am. And I think about the way I'm going to love that little girl. And the way I have always loved her mama. And think about how God loves you so much more than that love I have for my family. You see, I love with an imperfect love because I'm not perfect. Our God loves with a perfect love. Because he's perfect. I don't know where you come from. I don't know what your family background. I don't know what you've been told all your life. But I know this. The truth of Christmas is that Jesus Christ was born so that we could all sit around God's table. We could all be a part of his family. How grateful are you for that? Uh, I want you to think about this. You don't have to be worthy. You just have to be available. You just have to come before God and say, God, thank you so much for allowing me to be a part of your family. Thank you for forgiving me and saving me through the precious blood of your son, Jesus Christ. Remember just a couple of things as we close today. Jesus Christ is the only one in history who chose his family tree. And wow, there were some whoppers back there. Amen? There were some rough folks in his family tree. But he invited all kinds to be a part of his family. None were worthy, but all were welcome. Sorry, you're not worthy. The great news is, you're welcome.